Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. It's good to be with y'all. If you want to grab your seat, we're going to dig into Exodus 20. If you want to turn there in your Bibles to Exodus 20, verse 7. Um, So just really quickly before we uh, get started, there is a connect card attached to your bulletin, and uh, it's got a nice perforated edge to it. You can just fold it again and tear it right off, really easy to tear off. Um, and, and that's just a, a good way for us to, to get to know you, learn some things about you, and also uh, a good way for, for us to know uh, what you might be interested in and, and learning more about um, Veritas, what, what we uh, sense God has called us to do and, and uh, what we're doing here, the, the vision that we've received from him for, for planting a church in the city of Dayton. Um, and so the, if you would fill that out and, and turn that in either to like this bucket uh, or there's a, a black box on the connect table where you get coffee and all that stuff. Uh, and we'd love to just get to know who you are and uh, connect with you. Uh, and there's also a little space on the back there. I know I say this every week, but I, I, I really mean I want to emphasize this. There's a little space on the back that you can fill in, write uh, a prayer request. And uh, we would count it as an honor and a joy to, to be able to pray for you this week. And so if you would fill out, uh, put, put a, a prayer request on there or, or several, uh, whatever you uh, feel like you might be in prayer for, we would count it an honor and a joy to pray for you this week. Um, and so thank you for taking the time to fill that out. Uh, Exodus 20, we're going to read from verse 7. If you want to stand with me uh, out of respect for God's word, and, and we're going to read here. We want to listen with reverence and awe. We, we believe that God speaks to us um, and, and that he has spoken to us, and his word is, is literally uh, his voice speaking to us right now as we read it. And so let's read it with, with reverence and awe. Let's listen with reverence and awe. Exodus 20, verse 7. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right, let's pray together. (laughs) Uh, Father, thank you for uh, little sincere um, and passionate voices that are thankful for your word. Uh, Would you help us like little children to be thankful for your word uh, here this morning to receive from you, uh, Lord, because we have nothing if we haven't received it from you. So would you... um, open our eyes? Would you open our ears? Would you soften our hearts to to receive your word now? Would you open our eyes to behold wondrous things from your word? Particularly, would you help us to to behold Jesus in your word? Lord, we need him. We are in desperate need of him. We're sinful. We're we're creaturely. We're weak. Uh, And so we we need uh, the, the person and work of Jesus to be our strength, to be our life, to be our salvation, to be our justification. Lord, we are in desperate need. And so would you meet us uh, and and would you help me now as as I speak? Would you let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, our Lord, our rock, our redeemer? In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You can have a seat. So I think probably one of the most intense parts uh, of early parenthood is uh, the the responsibility of, of naming your children. Uh, I, I don't know if you feel this way, but I can remember being at Riverside Methodist Hospital, hospital the summer of uh, 2013, our 20-week appointment, uh, and, and Amy and I just found out that we're having a, a baby girl. 
And uh, we were just super pumped. And, and up to this point, we'd been, we'd been considering just several different uh, names uh, for our child, maybe even to the point of obsession. But finally, we had narrowed it down to two names, one for a boy, one for a girl, Theodore Judson, if it was a boy, and Lavinia Ruth, if it was a girl. And, and we just found out that we were having this little precious child, this, this little nugget, and it was a girl. Uh, and so as we were leaving, Amy said, all right, so her name's going to be Lavinia. And uh, I suddenly felt the, the weight of responsibility of naming a child. Uh, I started breathing heavily. I was feeling anxiety. Uh, I, I started considering things I had never thought of before, like what if she doesn't like her name? Or, or what if there's some cruel nickname that we're not thinking of that, that uh, kids at school will call her? What if thousands of, of other parents are naming their little girls Lavinia right now? And, 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 and what, if she does, what does that name even mean? What if she doesn't like it? What if we don't even like it? I just started considering things that I'd never thought of before. And it was, I, I just felt the weight of that responsibility. And I think the reason that I felt such responsibility when naming a child is because this is something that is going to be attached to them for the rest of their lives. Uh, a person's name is attached to their identity. It's attached to their reputation, right? This is why no one names their kids Judas or Adolf. Uh, names have to do with who we are. Uh, they have to do with our identity. And so it's not just a cursory title that we uh, give on a whim. It's, it's, we're, we, we carefully consider, we slowly consider the names for our children and because this is something they're going to carry with them for the rest of their life and, and that they're going to be recognized for. Similar to, to how we recognize a person by their face, we recognize them by their name. And the same is true of God. His name is attached to, to who he is. It's attached to his identity and his, his reputation. But a difference between us and God is, is that uh, no one names God. We, we all receive our names from, from someone else, namely from our parents, right? But, but God alone reserves the right to name himself. And the reason for this is, uh, is he tells us who he is. We don't tell him who he is. As Philip Graham Riken says, we, we don't tell God who he is. He tells us who he is. He tells us his name. He, he tells us uh, how he wants to be represented. He tells us what he wants his reputation to be in the earth. No one names God but God. But in grace, he gives us his name and he calls us to honor and to hallow what he reveals to us. And that's what we see in the third commandment here. We don't name God, but we're commanded to recognize and lift up God's name in a way that honors him because it's attached to his identity and his reputation. And so at first glance, this may seem like kind of an outdated commandment, but it's still very relevant. It was relevant to the Israelites at this time. It's relevant to us here today. So that's what we're going to dig in and look at, how the third commandment, what we see is that God's glorious and saving name is to be hallowed among us. God's glorious and saving name is to be hallowed among us. And so we'll walk through four points. Uh, number one, the holy name of God. Number two, the taking of his name in vain. Number three, the saving name of God. And number four, the prayer of the church. So the holy name of God, the taking of his name in vain, the saving name of God, and the prayer of the church. So beginning with the holy name of God, we're told not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. 
And you have to ask what, what he refers to when he says uh, this name that he speaks of here. Uh, and, and so uh, God is referred to uh, as and, and has many names and titles throughout Scripture. Uh, but one of those names, uh, probably the one used most often, is in this particular commandment. Do not take the name of the Lord, that is Yahweh, your God, Elohim, in vain. So the names of, uh, uh, and titles of Yahweh and Elohim are mentioned here in Exodus 20 and, and over and over again uh, in Exodus 20 and throughout the Old Testament, really. But to understand this a bit better, we need to take a, a quick trip back to Exodus 3. God meets with, with Moses in the desert. Uh, Moses is, is walking through the desert, and he sees this bush that even though it's, it's burning, it's not being consumed by the flames. And so naturally, this catches his attention as it should. And uh, so he, he walks up to this bush, and, and as Moses approaches it, God begins to speak to Moses. And he tells Moses that the cries and the prayers of the people of Israel have risen like incense to heaven and that the Lord has heard them. And now God is going to act. He is going to judge Egypt and redeem and rescue Israel from slavery. And so this is obviously good news. And, and God commissions Moses to go tell the people of Israel uh, about this, this good news. And, and I'm sure that as Moses is hearing this, he's relieved. But as he gets his commission, he's, he's probably feeling a bit nervous. Uh, it crosses Moses' mind, I think, that this might seem a little far-fetched. If he goes to the people of Israel and he's like, God spoke to me in this bush uh, and I have a message for you. You can imagine the, the subsequent response, what it might be. So naturally, Moses starts asking questions. He asks questions like, how am I going to communicate this and, and why should anyone believe me? And so God gives him uh, the, the, the ability to do miracles and signs and wonders to authenticate his message. And then Moses asks, who, who should I tell them sent me? What is your name, God? And, and this is what God says. I'll just read this from Exodus 3, 14 to 15 here. He says, I am who I am. And he said, say this to the people of Israel. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, say this to the people of Israel, the Lord, that, that is Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob has sent me to you. This is my name forever. And thus I am to be remembered throughout all generations. So he says, I am who I am. I am has sent me to you, the Lord, the God of your fathers. And so this name that he gives here, Yahweh, it's, it's built on the word for I am. His, his name means I am, telling us like God just is. He just is. Uh, so kind of what this communicates to us is that um, in, in a sense, God doesn't exist. Uh, yeah, you, you heard me rightly. God doesn't exist uh, in the literal sense of the word. To exist means to literally come out of something. And God doesn't come out from anything. He doesn't exist. He just is, and he just has been for all of eternity. He's not dependent upon anything or anyone. He is sufficient in himself. He needs nothing. He needs nothing from us. He just is. He's eternal and self-sustaining and self-sufficient. He's sovereign. He's, he's, trans he's supreme. He's the supreme being of all beings. He doesn't need anyone or anything. He is in himself perfectly happy and sufficient. God needs nothing. 
So for all of eternity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit have been glorifying and enjoying one another, perfectly happy and pleased and sufficient. He's the uncreated creator. He's infinite. He's absolute. He's he's all-powerful. He's all-knowing. He's everywhere present. This this God is, in in a word, he's holy. He's holy. It's a good word to, to summarize all of what we just talked about. He's holy, meaning he's, he's other. There's nothing. There's no one like him in all of heaven and in all of earth. He needs nothing. He depends on nothing. He just is. And that means that when he created and when he rescued and redeemed Israel and when he reveals his name, he's not doing so because he needs to. He doesn't create and redeem because he's lonely. He doesn't reveal his name to us because he needs to be affirmed by us. He needs nothing from us. He does so simply in his good pleasure because he's so loving and gracious. He, he does so because he, he rescues a people for himself. He's, he graciously gives them his name because he's kind and he wants our hearts to find their satisfaction in him alone who can infinitely satisfy. He is the well that never runs dry. He alone can, can satisfy because he alone is infinite and holy. And so this is what the name Yahweh tells us about God. God is and he has been for all of eternity. He needs nothing. He's great beyond what our imaginations can, can conjure up. And so because, of the, because this is who he is and because this is what his name tells us about his identity, this is the reputation that should be attached to his name. He is holy. Now, he, he doesn't reveal his name to everyone, but he reveals his name and he gives it specifically to his people. And he calls his people to be good stewards of the name so that all the nations of the earth would come to know and enjoy the holiness of the one true God. And so he, he gives them this commandment. He, he gives uh, his people his commandment so that they know how to use his name He tells them, as they are the stewards of his name, do not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So literally, do not lift up God's name in a way that is meaningless or in a way that tarnishes his reputation. Do not use his name in a way that belittles his worth and glory. His name is not one that you should use flippantly. He will not tolerate the taking of his name in vain. Now, for many of us, what immediately comes to mind is like, I shouldn't say OMG in a text thread, or I shouldn't say the name of Jesus when I stub my toe, or I should not ask God to damn this traffic jam that I get caught up in on my way home. Uh, and, and, and that's not wrong. Uh, we, that, that's, that's not wrong. It's, it's not wrong to think of it that way. Uh, that, that if you hear a follower of Jesus uh, using the name of God in that way, you should speak with him about it. You should ask them, why do you, why do, you do that? Uh, but if that's all that comes to mind, that is very reductionistic. Uh, that, that it, this command means much more than just that. Uh, we, we can't simply reduce this command uh, to, to that. And since we know uh, about that pretty well here this morning, I, I, I assume... We're just going to walk through these kind of four ways that, that I believe uh, the, the, the Israelites were tempted in often in the Old Testament uh, to break this commandment. Um, and we'll just kind of glean, hopefully glean some things and, and see how this is relevant for us here this morning. Uh, number one is sorcery. Number two is false prophecy. Number three is false oaths. 
And number four is misrepresenting God as his people. So sorcery, false prophecy, false oaths, and misrepresenting God as his people. So we'll just walk through these really quickly. Uh, And and so some of these, they might seem kind of uncommon to us, but we'll see what we can glean. Uh, Firstly, sorcery. Uh, You know, in the ancient world, many peoples believed that they could gain access to supernatural powers and, and privileges through the use of, like, divine magical spells. And, and, and so they, they called upon their gods and using these spells to give them rain and food and, and to heal them and, and to give them victory in battles to tell their future. And with the Israelites just coming from Egypt, they, prob- they probably would have been very well aware of this. They probably uh, would have seen this practice and, and, and even practiced it themselves in some measure. And, and so they, they received this command, and, and, and this is, this is uh, very relevant for him. And, and you even see this, actually, in Acts 19 in, in the New Testament, when the seven sons of Sceva, they try to cast this demon out using the name of Jesus. Uh, and, and if you're familiar with the story, what happens? This dude jumps on them and, like, beats them mercilessly, like, just beats the pants off of them. It's crazy. It says that they left naked and wounded, just beats them. It was bad. And so that's, that's what happens when you take God's name in vain. Uh, that, was, that was a joke. <laughs> so, okay. Uh, but the people, uh, they're, they're commanded here to not lift up God's name in this way, to not use it in, in sorcery. The reason being that the God of the Bible is not one that can be manipulated or, or managed. Uh, like you're not going to take the great I am and make him into your divine vending machine. Uh, you're, you're not going to get him to do your bidding by saying some spell in the right way. He cannot be manipulated. He cannot be managed by humanity. And so while you may not have like a little book of Yahweh incantations at, at home, the heart behind this is still very present among many in our churches today, isn't it? We, we, we may still very well struggle with this mindset of if I pray this prayer in the right way, If I say the right thing, if I do this thing, God will give me what I want. You might even be guilty of trying to strike a deal with God. God, if you do this thing for me, I'll do this thing for you. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll give you my life if you do this thing for me. And so you might have have even said that prayer, thought that in your mind before. But that's using God's name in vain, using his name as a means to another end. And he is the end of all things. He will not be used as a means to another end. He will not tolerate sorcery in any form. Next is uh, false prophecy. And so whenever the the prophets in Israel would come before the people of God and and preach, they would say, thus says the Lord. Uh, It was understood at this time that, that when a prophet would say those words to the people of God, that God had given that prophet a specific word or vision to share with the people. And so what they were about to share was directly uh, spoken to them by God. But we see throughout the Old Testament that sometimes these these false prophets would come forth and tell lies to God's people using his name. Now, we might not struggle with that directly, uh, but if you grew up in the church, uh, you've probably heard this phrase tossed around fairly flippantly, these three words, God told me. God told me. Like, I, I can't tell you how many romantic relationships have either begun or ended using those three dreaded words. Uh, we're all familiar with that crazy 18-year-old guy who tells this girl, like, God, God told me that we were supposed to get married. 
Uh, or, you, you know, that, that serial, that famous serial dater who, who ends every single relationship with God told me we should break up because they're afraid to have that conversation, just tell them that they don't like the other person. But it's not just in relationships. It's, it, people use these three words to manipulate and try to get their way in all sorts of situations. So let me encourage you, church family, to never do that. Don't ever do that, ever. Don't, don't use God's name so flippantly. Don't, don't, manipu- don't use his name. Don't use his voice to manipulate and try to get your way with others. Don't say, God told me, unless you're quoting the Bible. Uh, don't speak authoritatively where God has not spoken authoritatively. Now, of course, we, we have the internal guidance of the Holy Spirit. If we ask God for guidance and, and help in our circumstances, he will lead, he will guide us, and, and he's gracious to do that. But it's a much better way to approach what you think God is telling you is, is to say, I think or I sense that God is leading me to do such and such a thing. I, 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 I sense, I think that God is leading us to plant a church. I, I sense that God is leading me into foreign missions. I sense that God is, is leading us to sell uh, our house. Uh, don't ever use God's name in such a, in such a flippant way and, and never use God's name to try to manipulate others into getting them to do what you want them to do. Or another way that this is commonly practiced today is when people use God's name uh, as a mascot for a, a certain cause, a political or, or social cause. And sometimes this is done in such wickedness. Uh, throughout history, God's name has been attached uh, to, to causes to, to try to make uh, legitimate, just evil and wicked things. The Crusades, uh, slavery, the, the slaughter of Native Americans, uh, and, and the apartheid, and, and many other things. God's name has been attached to these to, to attempt to legitimize them. And even today, in the last three decades. God's name has been attached to fanatical patriotism, to nationalism, to to militarism, and then even such debatable issues. God's name has been used to to fight for and against wars. God's name has been used to fight for and against uh, child child care for working mothers. God's name has been uh, used for and against uh, even things like the retention of the Panama Canal. Uh, God's name has been attached to uh, the Republican Party and the Democratic Party. God's name has been attached to political candidates. And I, I wholeheartedly believe that that is a stench to the nostrils of God when we attach his name to a particular candidate or a political party. That's, that's not what we are called to do. God is not our mascot. He's not used as a means to another end. He's not used to legitimize wicked things. He's not used as a mascot for a political party or political candidate. And so we're not to use God as our mascot. He is the Lord of heaven and earth. Next is false oaths, and we've got to hurry, so I'll just run through these last two really quickly. Uh, it was a common temptation for the uh, people of God uh, in those days uh, to, to use God's name in false oaths, often to, to, to persuade others that someone was telling a, the truth in a particular situation, whether it be in business or in court. Uh, one would say, as the Lord lives, such and such is true. And in a way, they're kind of calling God to be their witness, right? Be, be, our, be my witness in this situation, God. And so it's a problem whenever someone says, as the Lord lives, or, or when they give an oath using God's name and they're telling a lie, uh, or, or then misrepresenting God. As we mentioned uh, just moments ago, uh, the, the people of God are given the gift of, of stewarding God's name. 
Uh, in fact, uh, we even go as far to say that, that God's people are his representatives, the, the representatives of God's name in the earth. We represent God. We're a kingdom of priests uh, in the earth, people who do divine bidding, who have his mission. So people who are given the mission of making his name famous in the earth. And so as people marked by this name, anytime we behave in a way that is uh, belittling or, or, or uh, 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 unfit for the, the holiness of his character and, and the glory of his name, uh, we're misrepresenting him. We're profaning his name. And we see this tragically, actually, in Amos 2.7, where God says that he's going to punish Israel and drive them into exile because Uh, I quote, they trample the head of the poor into the dust of the earth and turn aside the way of the afflicted. A man and his father go into the same girl so that my holy name is profaned. So their mistreatment of the poor and of young women is tied directly to profaning God's holy name, using his name in vain. So these are all common ways that, that Israel was tempted to misuse and even did misuse and how we still today misuse God's name. And there's even a, a, a threat of punishment attached to this commandment for those who break it. It says that the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. God takes this very seriously. And I think uh, Gary North gives a, a helpful illustration that kind of shows us why this is so important, why God takes this so seriously, this, this helpful illustration that kind of uh, makes it um, make a little more sense to us. Uh, Gary North says, one way for a modern American to begin to understand this commandment is to treat God's name as trademarked property. In order to gain widespread distribution for his copyrighted repair manual, the Bible, and also to capture greater market share for his authorized franchise, the church, God has graciously licensed the use of his name to anyone who will use it according to his written instructions. It needs to be understood, however, that God's name has not been released into the public domain. God retains legal control over his name and threatens serious penalties against the unauthorized use, misuse of the supremely valuable property. All trademark violations will be prosecuted to the full limits of the law. The prosecutor, judge, jury, and enforcer is God. And so as we kind of reflect on this threat of punishment, I, I just would ask you, regarding those four common ways that God's name is misused. Although I'm, I'm sure that there are many others as well. But have you, have you tried to manipulate God to do your will? Have you ever misrepresented him as his people? Have you ever uh, misspoken about God? Have you ever attached his name to a politician or a cause as your mascot? Have you ever tried to manipulate someone else by telling them, God told me? Have you ever said, I I swear to God and then uttered a lie? Have you ever done anything as a follower of Jesus to misrepresent his perfect and holy character? The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So the truth is, I, I don't think there's anyone in this room that can say that they have not broken this commandment. Uh, We've all used God's name without reverence. We've all used his name flippantly. We've all used his name to our own ends. We've been poor stewards of the name. Everyone has been except for 
one person. John 17, 26, Jesus says when he's praying to the Father that he has perfectly made known God's name to us. As Michael Horton says, it's only in the person and work of Jesus that God is given the full glory due his name. In the person and work of Jesus, God is never misrepresented. In the person and work of Jesus, his, his, his perfect character is revealed and displayed to us perfectly. In the person and work of Jesus, God is never used as a means to another end, but he's properly glorified and enjoyed. In Jesus, God is never a mascot. He's never misquoted. Jesus never lies. He always tells the truth. He himself is the personification of truth. He is the only one who has obeyed this commandment perfectly and lifted up God's name to be hallowed in the earth. And so lovingly and so graciously, even though he kept this commandment, God did not hold him guiltless at Calvary for us. And not just the threat of punishment was laid on him, but the actual punishment for this crime fell on Jesus at Calvary. The only one that was guiltless chose not to be held guiltless before the Father so that we who are guilty could be held guiltless before him. And so now, because of Jesus, Paul tells us in Romans 10, uh, I'll read this, starting with verse 9, if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. For the scripture says, everyone who believes in him will not be put to shame. For there is no distinction between Jew and Greek. For the same Lord is Lord of all, bestowing his riches on all who call on him. For everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. So everyone that calls on the name of Jesus will be saved saved. In fact, that's what the name of Jesus means. God saves. In Matthew 121, Joseph is told, uh, she, speaking of Mary, Jesus' mother, she will bear a son and you shall call his name Jesus for he will save his people from their sins. That's the identity, that's the reputation attached to the name of Jesus. He saves his people. Because of Jesus, the Lord will not hold him guiltless who calls upon his name. And those that call upon the name of Jesus and our Savior are also stamped with this divine name. Think of your baptism. We were all baptized, as Matthew 28, 18 tells us, in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. As God's people, we were redeemed, we were rescued by the saving name of Jesus. And now in grace, we bear his name to represent him to our neighbors in our city. So because the name of God is, is holy, and because it's his name that, by his name that we are saved, we now lift up his name in a way that honors and glorifies him. We do not lift up the name of the Lord our God in vain. Now remember, this command is not just a command, it's also a promise. He's saying, you shall not, you will not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Speaking of a coming day when the Spirit will fill us and write his law upon our hearts, and we will not take the name of the Lord our God in vain. Rather, we take on the prayer of Jesus as our own. When he prays, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. So this is the prayer of the church. 
We pray, God, hallow your holy and your saving name in our hearts, in our homes, in our church, in our city, in the, in the entire earth. God, hallow your name. Hallow your name. This, this request to God to hallow his name is the antithesis to what is prohibited in the third commandment here. Instead of being lifted up, lifted up in vain, to hallow his name means to lift it up as holy, to, to set it apart. Asking God, set your name apart. Bring, uh, when, when we say your name, bring thoughts and feelings of joy and reverence. Hallow your name, God. To ask God to, to hallow his name is to cause his reputation in the earth to be suitable for his glory. I love, as John Piper says of this petition in the Lord's Prayer, he says it means that we are praying that his name be set apart in people's hearts and minds and lives as the infinitely great and beautiful and valuable reality that it is. And so it's recognizing that God is the most valuable and important person in all the cosmos, and that he's worthy of the attention, of the affection, of the admiration, of the enjoyment of every heart. He's worthy of of the praise and honor of every tongue. That's what we're asking for in this petition, Lord. Make that a reality. So let me ask you, do do you ever pray in that way? Do Do you ask God to hallow his name? So I I know when, when we pray, we usually ask for things we need. God, would you provide this need? Would you uh, heal so-and-so? Would you provide this thing that we need? And that's good. We're, we're commanded to do that. We should pray for things that we need. But this, this particular petition is first in the Lord's Prayer for a reason. It's because it's, it should be the primary desire of our hearts that God would hallow his name. Would you glorify your name, God? That should be the, the primary desire, the chief desire in our hearts, that, that God would get proper reverence and awe and joy due his holy name that his holiness deserves. And this request becomes the cry of our hearts in the new covenant, doesn't it? As as Jesus sends the Holy Spirit and writes this commandment upon our hearts, this becomes the chief desire of our lives. This becomes our prayer. As we're filled with the Holy Spirit also, God sends us to make this petition a reality, to answer this prayer. He uses us to answer this prayer as we're sent to proclaim his name in our city and in the earth. We're sent to bear witness for the name of Jesus and lift his name up in a way that honors him, that he saves And sometimes that even means that our own reputation, that our own name is tarnished. Sometimes that even means that our own name is dragged through the mud as we bear witness to his. I love the the story of Peter and John in in Acts 5 when they're arrested for preaching the gospel. And this council that arrested them, they sit Peter and John before them and they say, what are you doing? We told you not to preach this gospel. We told you not to proclaim and teach and, and, and preach in this name anymore, speaking of the name of Jesus. And Peter and John say in, in response, God has, has commissioned us. God has uh, commanded us to proclaim this name, to proclaim the name of, of Jesus. And so we must obey God rather than you. And the council is enraged by this. They, it says that they wanted to kill Peter and John. But one of the older, wiser men, wiser men in the council pumps the brakes and he de-escalates the situation. Very helpful. 
So rather than beating Peter and John or killing them, they, they, rather they, they beat them and, and, and let them go. They, they beat them and they charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus anymore and they, they let them go. In verse 41 of Acts chapter 5, it gets me every time. It says that then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They rejoiced that they were beaten. They rejoiced that they had suffered dishonor. They rejoiced that they were arrested for the name of Jesus. That's how seriously they took hallowing God's name. That's that they would even rejoice while their names were being dishonored to that end. Rather than seeing God's name as a means to their ends, they saw themselves, they saw everything, they saw their names as a means to the end that God's name might be glorified and hallowed in the earth. And so I I just, I wonder, do we know anything about that? Do, Do we know anything about being so jealous for God's name to be glorified that we would stake our own reputations on it? that we would stake our safety on it, that we would stake our names on that, to that end. That's what we see in the third commandment, that his holy, that his saving name is to be so hallowed among his people. He is to be the most important thing about us. His name is stamped on us. His name is to be the most important thing about us. And he will not take second place to anything. He will not be a means to any other end. He is the end of all things. He demands that his name be hallowed and that that be the cry, the request, the pursuit of our lives, that his name would be hallowed. I pray that he would use us to that end. Let's pray together. Father, your name is holy. Jesus, your name is saving spirit. Your name is power. We ask now that you would so fill us with desire to make much of you that we would, like Peter and John, even rejoice if you would count us worthy of suffering dishonor for your name. Lord, would you help us to not be ashamed of your name as we uh, spend time with our families and friends and coworkers and neighbors this week? Would you help us to be bold in proclaiming your name, the only holy name, the only name that saves, for there is no other name under heaven by which men must be saved. Lord, would you work that in our hearts to cause us to truly worship you, not just to, to feel uh, some, some warm fuzzies in this gathering, not just to, to feel some warm, fuzzy feelings in our, in our spirit, times for spiritual disciplines and devotions, Lord, but that you would make this the cry of our hearts so that everything we do would be in pursuit of hallowing your name in our hearts, in our homes in our workplaces, in our city. Lord, we can do nothing apart from you. And so we're dependent upon you to answer this prayer. 
to, to bring to fruition what we've heard here. Would you help us to, to not just be hearers of the word only, but to be doers also? Lord, work in us. In Jesus' name, amen.